0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and every now and again I get the desire to talk about a potpourri of different Bible lessons that I've learned over the years. They are truths that I've come to understand that have proven to be very helpful for me in my life as a child of God, yet it would not be necessary for me to devote an entire episode to any one of them. My friends, as we continue to study and read God's Word, truths become clear, and I'm talking about everyday, practical kinds of things that can make a life rich and as full of blessings as it can be. That is what I want to do in this episode. To simply talk about those kinds of things. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that being bitter is a tremendous waste of time. All of us who live for any length of time are going to have bad and unjust, even cruel and wicked things happen to us. And you know what? The Lord's Church is made up of people and none of us are perfect. It may very well prove to be true that some of the most hurtful and unjust things will come at the hands of brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. How successful can Satan be if he can divert our energies from the work that the Lord has given us to do to the cultivation of anger and malice, and that especially among fellow Christians? In the book of 1 Peter, looking at chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, Peter wrote the following, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers And the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I love what Peter has to say in this passage because it is such a logical progression of thought. He speaks first of their obedience to the gospel and their sincere love of the brethren, which is to be an effect of that obedience and the purification of their souls. Chapter 2 begins with the word, therefore, showing that this is a logical inference drawn from what he has just written. In other words, Peter was saying, because you have been born again, put away from among you malice, guile, and so on. I think it's interesting that the word translated as putting away was originally used to regard, to discard clothing. And the idea is the putting away of evils from the former life, just like we would throw away old and defiled garments. Then the things that Peter lists are the very kinds of things that would serve to destroy brotherly love and create an attitude of bitterness and hatred. Sometimes it is so hard not to allow our days to be polluted with thoughts of revenge and bitterness rather than of loving kindness. But I'll tell you what, we have the greatest example of all to follow. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 48 the following, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more do you do than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I have found that it is awfully hard if not downright impossible to remain bitter towards someone about whom we are sincerely praying. I'll tell you something else that I've learned. I've learned that brethren should be cherished. We live in a pretty wicked world of over 5 billion people. So very few of that five billion are brethren with us in Christ. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. We need to learn to cherish and appreciate each and every one. We are bound together by the most precious of all ties, a tie that reaches across all racial, social, educational, and economic barriers. We are bound together by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. The first part of verse 8 says, Which he lavished on us. How can any of us be mad at one another, or at least stay mad at one another? In Ephesians 2, Paul wrote about all people, both Jew and Gentile, being able to be reconciled to God in one body by the cross, which is just another way of saying that we all can be in the one body of Christ because of the blood he shed for us. That brother or sister that we may be angry with. Christ died for him or her. We should all learn to esteem that relationship, the fellowship we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Christ, the grandest of all relationships. We should do our very best, each and every one of us, to enrich and embellish its value. Anything that we do that mars that glorious relationship is a serious and most regrettable mistake. I've also learned that it is so very important to think before we speak indeed when we consider our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ it is usually a failure to do this that causes the most damage James puts it so succinctly in James chapter 1 verses 19 through 20 this is a passage that I wish could be put in big bold letters and underlined in every copy of scripture he wrote this you know my beloved brethren but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It is interesting to me that Solomon devotes so much attention to this particular thing in the book of Proverbs. Let's take the time to read several verses. In Proverbs 10:19, we find, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. In chapter 12 and verse 16 we read, A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Do you know what Solomon's point was there? A foolish man, when aroused to anger, does not check or control himself, but is quick to lash out against those who have angered him, and he does so without thinking about the consequences of what he says. Look at verse 23 of the same chapter. It says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim folly. The wise person reserves what he has to say for the proper time, place, and persons, giving careful consideration to these things. Along the same line, consider chapter 13 and verse 3. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The idea of guarding his mouth is simply the idea of controlling oneself, thinking before we speak. On and on we could go with this but I think that we're all getting the idea. I have also learned that at its very best life is short and the relationships in it are very precious. James wrote in the well-known passage found in James chapter 4 verses 13 through 15 the following, Come now you who say today or tomorrow We will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Job wrote in Job 14 verses 1 and 2, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Just think about it. Why should I ever engage in serious quarrels with my spouse when in the great scheme of things our time together is so short and every minute of it should be cherished? Young people heed the words of Ephesians 6, 1-3 where Paul wrote, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. This may be hard for you to grasp or to appreciate, but the days when you can wrap your arms around your mom and dad and tell them how much you love them, seek their wisdom, and demonstrate your true, true affection for them fly by, and the time will come when you'll have to say goodbye in this life. Don't have to do that with regret. Allow me to say something else to the young people. I had a brother and two sisters growing up. I was the baby of the family. I like to think that mom and dad kept having children until they perfected it. Anyway, I fought with my sister closest to me in age like cats and dogs. It was a source of disruption in the house, and that was probably what mom and dad had to yell at us for more than anything else. Don't waste your time doing that. Number one, it is wrong. There is not a single parent who wants that kind of conduct taking place in their home. Your responsibility is to obey your parents. But secondly, believe me, the time is coming when you will cherish that brother or sister who bothers you so much now. So much of our lives are tied together. The experiences you have growing up will never be duplicated or repeated. Closeness of family means so much when you come to say goodbye to one who raised you or one with whom you grew up. I have learned that it is so true that money cannot buy happiness. I know that sounds trite, but it is so true. If the Bible teaches anything clearly from cover to cover, this is one of the things that it teaches. Again, I give way to Solomon who discovered that great wealth without the Lord is vexation of spirit. And striving after the wind. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 9. In 1st Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 we are told for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Down in verse 17 we find instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. To spend a lifetime always striving for more and more things, more and more wealth is to miss the point. All of the treasures in the world won't matter on the day of judgment. Jesus specifically addressed that point when he said in Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty one, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Please do not misunderstand. Providing for our families is important and a God-given responsibility but we must be certain not to deceive ourselves into thinking that the desire for more and more is the same thing. It is not. One soul is worth more than all of the material possessions the world has to offer. That is what the Lord said. That is where our priorities need to be. My friends, I have also learned that sorrow and suffering can make us better. I think when you are young, and that sounds like just a bunch of words, experience, however, proves it as one grows older. I really believe that the trials of life can make us shine brighter here And at the same time, make us yearn for the world that is to come. Look at what David wrote in Psalm 119, verses 65 through 71. He wrote, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I know that at times it doesn't seem that way, but if we will go to the well of sorrow and suffering enough, we will find that supply of God's grace and solace never runs out. I love the way Paul put it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, he wrote, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Whatever comes our way, God's grace is and will be sufficient. We can make it through and, like metal purified by fire, be even stronger on the other side. Finally, I have learned that heaven will surely be worth it all. We all know the glorious promises Jesus made to his apostles on the night of his betrayal found in John fourteen one through 3. From the King James we read, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Beyond the joy that we feel in this life and the living pulsating hope that keeps us going lies a glorious, wondrous place called heaven. I hope these thoughts have proven to be beneficial for you today. Thanks for listening.